Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we are joined by Dr. Michael Frazes. Dr. Michael Frazes graduated in 2012, and he spent the first few years of his career focusing on patient communication and expanding his basic skill set. He now enjoys all aspects of dentistry with a particular interest in cosmetic work, complex surgery, and managing complex nervous patients. He is a frequent contributor to multiple online dental forums and is a lead educator globally for Arrive Global. He has and is involved with teaching dentists from all ages in a variety of live and cloud-based courses from around the world. Dr. Michael Frazes, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lawrence. So tell us about your CPD or dental journey and how that kind of developed into a special interest for cosmetic and um, complex dentistry. Yeah, so I mean, I graduated in, in 2012 and I think I spent the first year doing as much free CPD as I could. So anything that you had zero dollars behind it, um, I was doing that. So I read some journal articles, um, did some things with the the ADA, student societies, just anything that was free because basically um, I was I was broke. Um, from from there, I decided that uh, I didn't really enjoy the. Not to say that it was bad quality, but I just didn't enjoy enjoy the lack of depth that some of those like you know evening courses for a couple of hours would have gone into. And then I sort of branched out into some some bigger courses. Um, I lose track of what course I did when I ended up in my early years doing like 120 hours of CPD uh, a year, some years. So it started to get a little bit much. Um, and I, I decided, well, I can't just do CPD on all aspects of dentistry. What do I actually like doing? And it, when I first graduated, I was like, you know what? I really want to be an oral surgeon. I really want to just, you know, cut things open and stitch them back together again. And I really wanted to do surgery. Um, and then the more CPD I did and the more courses I did, I think I ended up doing, I remember what I did, but Tom Giblin was there and I was speaking to him about, you know, wanting to do surgery and things like that, but that I really liked pros still. Um, and I didn't want to like give up surgery and I didn't want to give up pros. Um, and, you know, I was toyed with doing periodontics because you can do surgery and implants with that or doing whole surgery and all these different things. And he was like, well, I do a lot of surgery and I'm a pros. I'm like, Pros can do surgery? He's like, yeah, pros can do surgery. And I'm like, oh, maybe I want to be a pros then. Uh, so I started just doing a lot of like prosthodontic bait courses and just learning a whole bunch of stuff with that, with the goal of getting into implants and surgery and things like that. So I started my implant, my CPD journey with not knowing where to go and then sort of whittling down to, I want to do surgery and implants and then realized I should probably get to it from a pros-based perspective and then sort of made my stepping stones uh, from there doing lots of different pros-based courses and things like that. Um, and then ultimately in the last three years, I've been uh, devoting it to implants and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so it was more of an interest than it was maybe what the practice was kind of building earlier on, you're saying? Yeah, so it was more of an interest in sort of seeing where it took me. So... I mean, when we graduate in dentistry, we kind of don't know a lot about a lot of things. We kind of know just enough about everything to sort of be able to understand it. But then just like when a, like a doctor graduates, they know medicine, but then it's like, well, they can't do heart surgery straight up. They can't do this. They can't do that. They then have to like specialize. But then before they specialize, they have to kind of do a little bit of everything until they figure out you know what, I really don't like kidney surgery or I don't like feet. So I'm going to go in this direction here. So it's the same thing in dentistry for me. I had to go, uh, you know what, I don't really like, you know, I, I'm not peds, I'm not ortho. Um, endo I'm fine with, but I don't want to do it all day. Um, and then I was like, I like pros, I like surgery. How can I combine those two? 
Um, and in the end, uh, I was talking to Shravan, who I, and I run forces with. I'm very close to him. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's a prosthodontist in, in Adelaide. He was a few years um, above me at uni. And we were, I was umming and ahhing whether I go and study pros at uni. Um, and we were sitting down and figuring out, you know, what do I want out of doing pros? And I was like, well, I just want to learn how to do pros stuff better. And he goes, okay, we'll just learn how to do pros stuff better. And you don't need to go to study prosthodontics to learn how to do pros stuff better. You just have to do lots and lots and lots and lots of courses um, rather than three years of your life at uni. You can do like six, 10, you know, 20 years worth of pros courses and things like that. Um, because at the end of the day, the only thing that I would get for me out of doing a pros course that I would be different to, um, you know, doing it on my own other than structure and everything that you, and the credentials and the, the title is a lot of universities and some places will only let you teach if you have that, that degree or that those extra titles after your name. And because all my teaching is and hopefully will be in the private sort of sector, it didn't really matter if I had a specialty degree behind after my after my name. So for what I was trying to do, it didn't make sense to you know drop everything, study pros for you know three years. I could just continue what I was doing and be what people call a, a super GP, where you just kind of do a bit of everything to a slightly higher level than someone who doesn't do a bit of everything not saying I'm better than, than other GPs, but I'm trying to do a lot of higher end pros work without becoming a prosthodontist. But I still have a prosthodontist in my corner that I refer to. So um, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not stealing things from the pros society. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really, I, I just really enjoyed that aspect of it, but um, I can't see myself focusing specifically in specializing or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, Whilst you're deciding all of this and, you know, you, it's all coming at different points, you know, how um, so you're working at the same time, right? And how you how you deciding your CPDs at this point? Um, what are you picking um, to kind of get you to that next level as you, and you developing your interest in that? Yeah. So what I would usually, well, what I used to do and what I still try to do is at the beginning of the year, I would figure out whatever my, you know, time and money budget for CBD for that year would be. And then sort of whoever advertised early, I would sort of, yeah, lock myself into a few courses and they usually be the bigger things. Um, I did some of the bigger ones that I did was, uh, so I was the first, one of the first, uh, it was the first time that Jeff Coe ran his uh, recent graduate um conference so i was at that one that one was really good because he had all aspects of dentistry in it now he's um he segmented it into lots of individual components but back then it was like like a week long in like um the gold coast i think it was at versace palazzo um i remember because we did the oral surge course um and we we're cutting dissecting tongues and doing stitches and they were on versace plates so i remember that really vividly. <laughs> um so yeah, there was there was that. There was um, basically anything that Lincoln Harris did. Um, I was there. Yeah, so there's lots of like bigger ones, like one sort of big one a year, and then I'd sort of do lots of little things um, here and there, and tend to do a lot of sort of more local ones, your ADA ones, and things like that. Um, and like, how did I pick it? Basically, I had the budget for it, and it was looked interesting. Um, I didn't do any of those ones that there was a period of time before COVID, I think they've kind of died off a little bit now, whether they'll resurge, I don't know. But there was a lot of CPD that was very, just for the tax deduction, I would feel. So those ones where uh, I'm not, you know, naming any names or anything like that, but those ones where you're like, I don't think this is actually going to give me any knowledge um, but it would be a great um, networking event or something like that. So those ones I didn't do. Um, other ones um, I, I tended to do, but obviously the ones that I tended to do tended to come with higher costs. So I had to limit uh, the ones that I could do. But I did manage to get around it 
the cost factor in a fun little way. So the way that I got around, because I did a lot, like when you do 120 hours of CBD a year, uh, the cost adds up and then, you know, you struggle to put food on the table and you can't eat. Um, so I started to just help at CPD events. Um, so in, in exchange for helping set up, you know, moving tables around, or sometimes I'll take, you know, the guest speaker um, out for lunch or dinner or pick them up from the airport or do this or do that. Um, you get to, you know, attend the, the lecture for free. Um, but that was on the goodwill of the people who, you know, ran those courses. And, you know, if every single person tried to do that, there would be, you know, you know, chaos, but I was lucky enough that I was the only one doing it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was able to get a few courses, um, at low or no cost, mainly because I was working, um, at them. Yeah. I'm going to come back to like, when you were deciding to pick these courses, was it something that you were, um, you, you were looking like talking to colleagues and you're like, this sounds like a good course that I want to attend. Or was it like, or look, I've, I'm seeing things, comments online, reviews online. I'm like, this is the one I want to pick. Like, how did you decide? Because, you know, like you said, they're not cheap. And, you know, you're putting, investing a lot of money. Yeah. It was online, basically, because, I mean, when I graduated was the start of your your DPR and your sort of dental stuff in Australia. Um, and, yeah, it was mainly online. Um, I didn't use any, um, any sort of magazine prints or anything like that. Sometimes I'd look at a flyer that would come out in the ADA magazine. I'd be like, oh yeah, that looks pretty interesting. But then I would ask colleagues about it. But if someone posted something up on, on DPR, um, all the people that I would be asking about it were there commenting on it already. So I didn't need to ask them because they're like, oh yeah, I went to this course last year. It was pretty good and this and that. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, if this person went there and they found it good, it must be good. So I'm going to sign up or I'll go talk to them about it or something like that. So it was all online. I mean, I'm from the, the generation where everything's online. So um, yeah, it, it was very little from print media. Um, but if there was, it was, oh yeah, that looks good. And it would sit on my desk for a while and, and to, until they put their ad online on DPR. And then I remember that one, it's on my desk. And then I sign up for it. Um, but the fact that um, you've got the, the website with the CPD junkie and it's got like, the whole list of everything there. Um, it's just great. I've, you know, I've flicked through it. I've gone, you know what? I need more courses in this. So again, me go look for those kind of courses. And like, oh, I didn't know that they did this one here. And, you know, we can go there and we can go there. So, I mean, I didn't have that when I graduated. So something like that would have been very helpful because then you can be like, you know what? I need to do more endo. I want a list of all the endo courses. And then you just get a list of all the endo courses, and then like, uh, that one, that one looks good. That's That's how I would have liked to do it rather than, First come, first serve of whoever put their ad up on DPR. I'm like, sold, done. <laughs> Fair enough. So you're attending these courses. You've, you've mentioned you've you've got this the whole week. Um, Jeff Co is one of the early um, big courses that you decide. Then you decide to do the Lincoln Harris one. Um, is this how you're progressing towards like this full mouth rehabilitation prosthodontics kind of work? Yeah. So what I basically did um, was I decided to skip a few steps and then just go straight from, you know, I'm um, two, two, three years out to let's do a full mouth rehab. So I signed up for Lincoln's full mouth rehab course. Um, and at that point he was like, have you ever done a veneer before? And I was like, no, never done a veneer. And he goes, cool. You're about to do 12 of them. And I was like, yay. Um, so then, you know, I did some veneers and like, it all went well, the patients, um, like everything's literally still in there six or seven years later, however long it's been now. So, um, everything went well, but I think after that course, he was like, he told me, he goes, you're the least prepared person that I've ever sort of went through this course. And he goes, I should probably make some other like courses that would help people like you. And I was like, yeah, that would be very helpful. And then he created like all the other things. So I like to think that I helped him create what he's created now, but um, he would never admit that. Um, but then, yeah, once after that, that was kind of eye-opening to like, actually there's a lot that goes into these full mouth rehabs and just like, let's just put crowns everywhere. And then I sort of broke it down in my head and through um, talking with other people of, okay, I need to learn about, you know, restorative dentistry really well. Okay, let's go do courses on restorative dentistry, get that done. Cool, that's done. 
um, or not done, but better than it was before. Okay, let's learn um, treatment planning. Let's learn, you know, crown and bridge. Let's learn occlusion. Let's do this, let's do that. And then sort of break down each of the things that I need to learn the pieces of it to do a full math rehab and then go back and relearn how to do a full math rehab. Um, and then the next time I sort of do it, it was a lot easier because I had all the pieces in my head. I just needed someone to help me put them together rather than what I did at the beginning, which was just go there and you just have an empty head and you're like, fill me with knowledge. And they're like, uh, you have too much space. There's not enough knowledge that it's too hard to cram it all in. You've got a small jar. I can't fill this all in. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to make my jar bigger um, by just sort of expanding lots of little jars everywhere. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I kind of did. Um, and I just had my end goal still. I just had to work woods from it, break it down into smaller chunks and then go from there. I mean, it's the same thing if someone wanted to do, you know, endo, you just, you know, do some smaller courses on endo. You might do some treatment planning stuff. You might do this, you might do that. You don't just go and, you know, you can, but you have to go to university to do those bigger, more structured stuff. So if you want to do something structured, you can go to university or you have to create the structure yourself, which is what I realized I had to do. Mm. Well, what do you mean by it? you have to, as in like what you said, just like the, the four different. Yeah. So instead of going, yeah, I want to learn full mouth rehabs and then just like jumping into the deep end of full mouth rehabs. And then I realized I don't have the knowledge yet to do that. I can't do that. So then I had to break it down, create my own like curriculum where I go, okay, you first have to learn this, then you have to learn that. Um, and that's kind of where I'm still at. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that, you know, you you jump straight in, right? Um, and you're, you you take on a big case and it's like veneers, like you said. And he's asking you, have you done any veneers? And you're like, mm, not really. I mean, as an associate, right? Like at a practice that might not be doing these big cases, you know, you might be doing single units or whatnot. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, how do you prepare for a case that's like, yeah, big case. Um, and then how do you communicate that to the practice or like set up like you know it's yeah yeah that's a great great question um I, when i signed up for that um course i was working at a practice where there was no way that i would be able to do the kind of dentistry i do now or wanted to do back then for various different reasons i ended up leaving that practice one of them being i outgrew the practice there was no way that that practice would be able to um, become what I wanted it to be, or I'd be able to do the type of dentistry I wanted in that practice. There was just no way. Um, so I outgrew that practice. I left. Um, luckily, I did sort of fall into uh, the practice that I'm at now, and I can do the dentistry that I want to, and am doing the dentistry that I want to. You know, at the practice that I am now. Um, and what I did when I, you know, got the job is I said to him, I said, "Look, I'm doing this full mouth rehab course. I already had the patient from the other practice that I." brought over and I got permission from the old um, owner. I said, look, this guy's part of my course. Can I actually steal him from you? And he goes, yeah, that's fine. Um, as long as you're just taking the one person, that's fine. So he came with me. Um, he's followed me to the other practice. And I said, look, I'm doing this course. Um, I'm flying him up. I'm paying for the lab fees. I'm doing everything. Um, I just need, you know, him to be seen here and all that kind of stuff. And he, yeah, they were, he was very supportive. Um, Dustin was very supportive with uh, with that and that journey because at the end of the day he he knew that it would it would benefit him and the practice as well um, for me to upskill. So if you've got a good practice, that kind of it does help if the practice owner does do that work anyway. Like uh, Dustin does do a lot of high end stuff, a lot of rehabs and you know implanted things like that. So um, I'm sort of you know being mentored by him, you know, even to, to this day and just doing. Um, things following in his footsteps um, as it is. So um, if you aren't in a practice that you are capable of doing the work that you want to do in, then you, unless you own the practice, you can't change the practice. So I had to change practices and just leave um, because there was just no way I'd be able to do the dentistry that I wanted in that other practice. As to, you know, finding patients and all that, um, the first few patients that I work on for any new skill or any new thing that I do, um, I always do, I depend on what it is, but it tends to be like the first two or three tend to be um, completely for free. 
um, one, you have to talk with the owner regarding that because obviously there's fees associated with stuff. So while the patient doesn't pay, you might have to pay the owner some money. Um, and then it tends to be like a very discounted price. Um, what I tell patients is the educational price. And I take like a lot of photos or videos so that I can get feedback from uh, people who are mentoring me in those skills. Um, and then it's a reduced fee. And then I slowly from the reduced fee start increasing the fee to the fee that I want to charge or the fee that the practice has set or uh, preferred provider fee or whatever it's going to be. So um, it's never, so I find most patients either going to say, no, I don't want you to do it. Send me to someone who knows what they're doing, which is perfectly fine. Um, or they say, you know what, I'm happy to be your, your guinea pig because you're not charging me any money. You still have to do a good job and you have all the medical legal requirements and all that kind of stuff. But um, some patients happy to do a procedure that they know they need. They just can't afford. So um, there's all those patients in every single practice. And then how you build a a practice from there doing those kind of more high-end stuff it's i mean it's taken me like nearly 10 years to get to the point where i am now where i'm doing reasonably complex stuff on a reasonably um semi i'm just like weekly or bi-weekly i'm doing something reasonably complex where i'm like wow where did this case come from um those kind of cases so whereas when i graduated or a couple of years out i was like I'm just doing DO fillings all day, every day. Um, whereas now it's like, oh, thank God I'm doing a DO filling today. What's your thoughts on, you know, um, some when an, a dentist is doing it not as often as you, like sometimes they might be, they get the odd um, case and then it might be another two months or three months before they do another case, you know, like if they're not doing it as regularly, but they still kind of want to do it, like that's a tricky kind of situation, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it depends on on what it is. I mean, when I first do, did um, soft tissue grafting, I did three or four cases like back to back, and they all had various different levels. They all worked, but they always they all had some level of complication behind them, and it was just from a, an inexperienced point of view. Um, and I'd always take a lot of photos, get feedback from you know people who were mentoring me. Um, it's always good to have a, a specialist that you know and like that you refer to that you can be like, hey, I'm learning this new procedure. Can you just mentor me if I send you a few photos? And most of them are happy with it. Um, and I kind of got a bit disheartened for a while and I, I just stopped doing um, soft tissue work. Um, I should have gone back and done a little bit more CBD on it. I, I don't know why I didn't. Um, but then I wanted to start getting back into it. I did a lot more reading and a lot more research and I did start doing a bit more CBD on it. But instead of just jumping in and just doing another case on an actual human being, um, I just went to the butcher and I just got a thing with a pig's head and I just did some soft tissue. It's actually on my, um, on my Facebook um, page and it's just like soft tissue grafting on a pig's head. And then I just put it online and just said, this is me practicing, um, what do you think? And then just tagged like all these like surgeon based people that I knew on online, like, you know, Chris Ho, Tom Giblin, um, like all these prosthodontists and all these different people. And then like, you know, tell me what I did wrong. And then they gave me lots of tips. And from there I was like, oh, so that's why that didn't work, that other surgery. And then, so I was just practicing cause I couldn't practice on humans. So I was like, well, I'm just gonna practice on like a big set and I used my old instruments from like dental school that I still had in the garage and my old dissecting kit and just, just use that. But, um, or you can just buy like cheap instruments off eBay and then like, you can't use them on a patient cause they're just going to break. So just get a pig's head and just practice, or you can get a Frasaco model, um, online and just sort of practice doing some fillings and things like that. Yeah. So you just practice and practice and practice. You don't have to practice on a human. You can practice like on your own time as well. Just like in dental school, like all the stuff that I do and all the stuff that I teach and all these things, um, they're not they're not new. They're just what we did in dental school. It's just they make a lot more sense now when you've actually done a lot of you know work and hands-on things and seen patients. It all clicks a lot easier. And like I did my course last week and we were in the sim clinic um, at the Adelaide Dental Uni. And it's like going back to the sim clinic and you're like, it just helps because you're an actual dentist now you've qualified you've done all this 
you know, training all this work. And then you're going back to the sim clinic. You approach it differently than when you're a student. When you're a student, you like playing around and, you know, talking to your friend and, or, you know, what are you going to have for lunch and all that stuff. But when you go to the same sim clinic and practice with purpose, it, it makes all the difference. So I just, yeah, if I can't see a patient or, you know, I don't have a patient until a couple of weeks later, I might just practice their technique or, um, you know, do more research on it or do this or do that. Like you can't just, you know, wait until the next patient comes up because that might not come up for months and then your skills get rusty. I think that's that's a good tip. Um, I guess you became good friends with the butcher and your parents were probably wondering why we've got so many pig parts around <laughs> lying around. <laughs> yeah, one, one thing I will tell you is make sure they don't give you a frozen pig's head. They take up a large amount of room in your fridge and they take a very long time to defrost. They take about a week to defrost <laughs> in your fridge. Um, and this is in the height of summer as well. So you can't just leave it out because that will get very smelly. So uh, make sure it's fresh, make sure it's not frozen um, and make sure you have a big enough fridge because yeah, there was a pig's head in my fridge for about a week and uh, my, I think she was my fiance at that time. She wasn't very happy. <laughs> They're like Christmas is coming early. So, okay, so this is all happening. Now, where does the implant side of things start to come in now? So implants took me a really long time to um, get into. I had a lot of self-doubt about um, getting into implants. I have no idea why. I did all other surgeries. I can remove, you know, wisdom teeth, um, and do, you know, reasonably complex um, grafting and flap surgeries and things like that. But implants, like I was like, oh, no, no, that's, that's too scary. I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know who I was speaking to online. I kept asking them the same question like year after year. Like, oh, what implant courses should I do? I'm a beginner. I've got to do this. Do you think this? And at the end of the day, they said, Michael, just, what are you doing? Just you do so much more complex stuff than implants. Just go do a course and then just start placing implants. It's like, oh, no, it's too, it's too scary. I, I can't do it. Um, and then like I signed up for um, ASID and I just... Yeah, I did the first two modules and I think I was one of like two or three people who were doing ASID that had never placed an implant before in their life. And everyone else was like, oh yeah, I've placed like 10 implants. I've placed like three implants. And I'm like, I've placed zero. And they're like, um, we've seen you online. We, we don't believe that you've placed no implants. And I'm like, no, I've placed nothing. Like this one in the mannequin that I'm doing right now, that's my first implant and it's in like a plastic bone. Yeah, so I, I went, I had a lot of self-doubt for implants. I have no idea why I had self-doubt going into implants because implants compared to some of the other things I do, um, like the surgical aspect of it, as long as you're following the rules and have planned it all properly, isn't tremendously difficult. The tremendously difficult part is knowing where to place the implant, when to place the implant and on who to place the implant. Um, what, that's the complex thing, the treatment plan involved with it. Um, getting the pros side of things correct. Um, you know, anyone can put a, a screw into a bone, but if it's coming out the buckle of someone's cheek, well, it's not going to be of any use, but it's in there. So the surgery went well, but it's just not usable. So it's, you got to yeah learn all the other things first. And I spent like eight, nine years learning all the other things and then stumbled at the last hurdle of the final piece, which was putting the screw in the bone. So I don't know why it took me that long to do it, but once it actually clicked in my head that, oh, I've, I've done like all the hard bits of placing the implant already. I just need to learn like the actual surgery. Um, yeah, I started going from there and I haven't looked back since. I've got to, I haven't placed a lot of implants. I've only done, I think like 12 or 13 implants, um, but I've done twice as many implants this year as I did last year, which is, isn't very hard considering it was COVID last year. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm well on my implant journey now, but I'm still taking baby steps because I'm very, very early on and getting a lot of mentoring with it as well. Yeah, because like, I mean, I think that the way you've approached it is an interesting um, path because, um, you know, you're going to come across cases where it might be like three missing teeth and it's, you've got a, like a five a five arch bridge and, you know, obviously you ideally you would want something else in that case. Um, 
And then to couple it, we had you undid the. I mean, you did the soft tissue aspect first, because I think um, an aspect is that as a lot of recent grads, they come out, they're like, I wanted to learn ortho, I don't want implants, I want to do it all straight away, you know. And then they miss something that we're talking about here, which is that soft tissue aspect um, before the implant aspect. Um, what are your thoughts on you know graduates rushing out, being like, I want to do learn all these things very quickly. I'm in two minds about it because it depends on the graduate. So I don't like giving broad sweeping statements that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But in my courses that I've done and run, I've met some graduates and I've met some undergraduates that are doing some of these courses and they have their head like very well screwed on and they know what they're doing. You know, their hand skills are like, a thousand times better than than mine sort of were um because i had like atrocious hand skills when i graduated and they for them i think it's fine if they they're like i want to do ortho right go do one of those big ortho courses start doing ortho get the mentorship get it all done uh you want to do implants do a big course learn implants great start placing implants get mentorship I think where some people come undone is where they go, okay, I want to play, do ortho implants and uh, rehab. So one weekend they do an implant course, another weekend they do an ortho course, and then the other weekend they do like a treatment planning or like a all-on-four course, and then they start doing those bigger cases. And it's like you did one day where, you know, 15% of the day was actually consuming food around the, the lunch table or so. I don't know if you have enough knowledge to do these bigger cases um, on your own just yet. So it depends on how you approach it. If you approach it with, okay, I am going to devote my first year out to doing ortho, or my first two years out to doing ortho, great. Jump into ortho, spend two years learning ortho, then you can sort of do the next thing. Do the same with implants, do the same with pros, do the same with that, and then you can sort of work your way there. You can do the same thing by doing lots of little courses here and there, but it will take you longer um, to get proficient at one thing than if you just devote an entire two years on one aspect of something. Uh, it's a lot, you get a lot more structure, a lot more sort of uh, repetition, and you can sort of just focus on that one aspect. So if you're doing ortho, it's easy in one year to get a lot of ortho cases built up. And then for the next few years, all those ortho cases will continue and you've got that sort of, you know, positive feedback coming into the clinic and all that kind of stuff. So your ortho career kicks off and then you go, okay, well, I've done ortho, let's do implants. And then the ortho stuff is still happening in the background, but it's become kind of more automatic because you've been doing it for, for a while. And then you can add implants. If you try to do it all at the same time, you're either not going to learn anything on any of them, or you're just going to collapse under the sheer weight of the knowledge of everything that you need to, to learn. So it just depends on how you approach it. So I've seen some recent grads approach it the right way. I've seen some approach it the, uh, the wrong way. So if you can do it the right way, I'd say go for it, but just make sure you're, you're taking baby steps and don't do an all on four case when you first graduate. Right. So, I mean, we kind of allude, you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, you know, um, there's a stage where in a lot of clinicians, they start to contemplate practice ownership, being a specialist, being a super GP. Um, you've kind of alluded to it, but there was a point, right, that you were considering maybe practice ownership as well, would you say? Look, I think practice ownership is, is always going to be at the back of my mind. I think in my early career, it was very front and center mainly because I had bounced around between a few practices. There was nothing that I really liked. Everything was not set up the way that I would want to set it up. It wasn't run, you know, the right way or this and that. And so I had it in my mind, you know, I have to, you know, go learn, you know, go, not go learn, go, um, go start my own clinic or do this or do that. So uh, back then, no wasn't running his um practice ownership courses so i i just messaged him on on facebook i think it was just like the first message i ever sent him and i was like hey can i fly up to to brisbane or i think i was already up in brisbane for something else and just take you out for um lunch and you know just talk to you about like you know buying 
practice and you know what you think I should do and all that kind of stuff and I knew Jeff Coe and he was good friends with or he is good friends with Jeff Coe and uh, we ended up having lunch together and we spent like an hour and a half um, just talking about what I should do and all these different things and found it very insightful and from there I started looking for practices and I never quite settled on anything particular that I liked I did um, obviously I'm working at uh, a good place place now and it's one of those things where the more I work at the current practice the busier I get the busier I get the higher my billings are which means that the kind of practice that I then need to purchase changes because I've changed so I can't buy something that's you know small and has no growth potential because I've exceeded the growth potential that that clinic already has so I kind of what I needed changed so frequently because I was kind of growing at an accelerated pace that it was very difficult for me to find something that I wanted. Like I was always looking, I think I'll do three or four sort of analysis of um, various practices um, every couple of months and things like that. But it, it just never then, you know, you start a family, you get married, you settle down and then priorities change a little bit. So I, at this point in time, I'm focusing on uh, education, both my own and uh, teaching. And then once all that sort of settles down, I'll revisit the uh, the practice ownership thing. So it's always in the background, but for me, it's, it, it evolved to the point where, uh, yeah, I outgrew the dream I had of practice ownership um, when I first started. So Yeah, so then did you decide to pivot and start something else? Yeah. So one of the ways that I did, I knew this was going to come up. Uh, one of the ways that I did branching out, cause I was like, there was nothing in Adelaide that um, was interested me. So I was like, I always wanted things cosmetic wise. And this was back when uh, the injectable craze was going through dentistry. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy a beauty salon and then I'm going to convert it into a dental practice and, you know, see what happens there or convert it into something that I can use. But it, it just ended up being just, you know, roadblock after roadblock. And I mean, if I bought a practice, if something breaks or if the dentist is sick or if the nurse can't do her job or the receptionist can't do their job, I can step in and I can, you know, help out. I can sterilize instruments. I can answer phones. I can do this because I'm on premises with a beauty clinic that I run remotely, I can't do that. I don't know how to do a, a mani-pedi. I don't know how to do a massage or a facial. So, you know, if someone was sick, then, you know, between patients, I'm sitting there and like calling the other clients being like, hey, you know, this person's sick. You need to reschedule. And, and it just, yeah, it, it got a bit sort of hectic. And then there were other sort of... Um, financial and business issues uh, with it that I should have realized before I purchased it. So in the end, I ended up uh, liquidating it and accepting it as a very cheap um, way to get a MBA. So I, I consider it my, uh, my discounted MBA. I, uh, I consider that. But you actually have a diploma in business management. Is that right? Yeah, I do have a diploma in business management, um, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't help. Um, there's one thing to have the credentials on paper. There's it's another thing to yeah be able to to run a business. I think the the thing that undid me is I was never there. So all the issues I had with the staff was because I wasn't physically present there, and I wasn't there from the beginning. So I couldn't put systems in place. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. And there was no way that that could ever be um, changed. Like I was not going to sit there. Um, I think I was. I had a, a talk with Kinar once, and he was like, "Okay, how much money do you make at the at the salon in a week and you know in a month?" He goes, "Okay, so that means in a week you make you know X number of dollars." It's like I was, he was. He asked me, "How long does it take you to make that money in as a dentist?" And I'm like, um, "I don't know, a couple of hours." And he goes, okay, so for all this extra stress and stuff that you're doing and all this extra finances that you're pumping into this thing, it's so you can, what, work two hours less per week. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever. So in the end, I, I just had to cut it loose. It was a bad timing, bad decision, 
bad business, bad location. So, mm. and you felt, and so what you're saying is a, a diploma didn't help you see that because some people would say, you know, like, oh, look, I don't understand finances very well. I should go sign up for a business MBA course and I would understand finance because we don't get taught finances in um, in dentistry. No. Um, I think the way that I approached learning that diploma probably wasn't um, as good. It wasn't, it was something that I did to say that I did it, not because I wanted specifically to learn those things. I probably learned more about business by having a business and then failing at it than I learned in that sort of diploma. With other things like finance and things like that, I think these days, for those kind of things, you don't have to go to you know TAFE or university. There's a lot of online-based structured courses that you can do in you know business and finance. And I mean, if you're really cash-strapped and you need to do something, then there's always you know YouTube is is generally a, a good source for 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 everything. But um, you just got to pick and choose who you uh, who you listen to. It's just like in dentistry. I mean, let's use endo for example. So you can do a three year endo um, course to become an endodontist at uni, or you can spend twenty years doing small endo courses and you know focusing your career in endodontics. In the end, are you an endodontist? On paper, no, but you may have done the same amount of work to get there. It's just taken you a longer time and you don't have the title. Um, you can do the same sort of thing with a lot of other sort of courses and stuff. You can do an MBA and pay a lot of money at the university, or you can do lots of smaller little courses and things like that along the way. But I think anyone who has done really, really well in business, I think they they don't have uh, a huge love of, you know, going to uni and doing an MBA just because you want to get into business. If you want to get into business, just get into business. You, you don't have to do a course to go and do it. But yeah, if you want to learn, if you have a business and you need to learn more about finances, go do a bookkeeping course or go do this or ask your accountant where they do their CPD and then go do the CPD that your accountant does. Um, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. So I want to come back to CPD. So what particular CPD was a game changer for you, would you say, of all the ones that you've done? All the ones that I've done. So number one would be Lincoln Harris's um, full mouth rehab course because it just showed me how much is possible out there knowledge-wise, but also how bad I am at dentistry um, and how much further I have to go. And for me, it gave me the kick up the butt that I needed to just actually get the work done um, and, you know, learn and grow and before that i did yeah it was the jeffco's recent graduate um conference where i'm pretty sure it was a week long or something like that and that was actually really really good because it was a week it was i can't remember how many of us were i found the photo um the other day i should post it online um of us you know in the hallway just all pointing at various things and it's just got me pointing at a random different location and the thing it opened my eyes to lots of different things that could be done in dentistry that I didn't learn at uni. So a lot of the techniques that the oral surgeons were teaching us, we had the oral surgery module one day, then we had a, like an endo module, we had a crown and bridge module, we had like a treatment planning module. So we had lots of different modules and they all just opened my eyes like, oh, you know, I like this part of it. I like this. I like that. I like this. And then I think some other courses that were really pivotal for me but in a different different way i did i did a weekend ortho course um i won't i won't name who it was with but it opened my eyes but not in a, in a good way but it kind of made me realize okay i don't actually enjoy ortho because um, i wasn't sure if i didn't like ortho because of the way it was taught at uni or if I just really didn't like ortho, maybe I just wasn't good at it. So I went to a course and I was like, actually, I have no interest in this subject whatsoever. I mean, I vaguely understand it. Like, I'm not going to say that I understand it to the extent that other people would understand it, but I understand it enough to go, that's not for me to do, you know, full time or even sort of dabble with. So sometimes the best courses aren't the ones that, you go, yeah, let's let's go do surgery. Let's go do this. Sometimes it's like, you know what? I can now take that off the table, you know, for my CPD journey. Um, I will do enough ortho-based courses so that I can stay proficient with 
the treatment planning side of things, because that's obviously important. You still need to know how to treatment. I still learn how to treatment plan and all that so that I can talk to the orthodontist when I'm referring to them or various different things. But I don't have to do a lot of those courses because I'm not actively doing any orthodontics myself. So sometimes those courses are also quite good. Mm. So... I mean, you've mentioned a few people that have been pivotal in your career, but you know, yeah. one thing that graduates want is mentoring, right? So people yeah. interpret that differently. Some people like to be held by the hand. Some people like to be checked in once in a while. Some people just want to be on the fly on the wall and just observe, you know, what's your thoughts on re recent graduates looking for mentoring? I think you need to be upfront with yourself and with the person that you're approaching for mentorship as what you want out of it. When I graduated, um, I was told by one of the practices or both practices that I worked at that, that there'll be mentorship. And I was like, great, I've got mentorship. That's the buzzword that I was told I need to look for. I've got mentorship. The mentorship tick, um, you know, income tick, mentorship tick, you know, I'm winning life. But there was no, so my idea of mentorship was let's sit down. I've got a case. Let's go through it. Um, I don't need you to hold my hand and go through every single case that I've ever done and ask me to explain it to you. Um, but I also don't want you to just sit in your room and read a book and never actually, you know, converse with me uh, or anything like that. So I didn't get any, I didn't get any mentorship that I wanted um, in those first um, places that I worked at, which was fine. I mean, I didn't, do anything wrong but I also didn't grow in any aspect like if I had a difficulty I might talk to them afterwards but it was like oh yeah maybe you should do this differently and I was like okay I'll try that next time uh, and then I worked at another place but the mentorship was more of a interrogation or a, a buying on on you kind of mentorship where it's like, okay, I, I read your notes after you saw that patient. Um, why did you, uh, why did you use that technique or why did you use that LA on, on that patient? And like, um, that, because that, that's what I was taught. And this is the reason why I do this and this. I go, okay, well, we do it differently here. So, but my way works fine. It's like, yeah, yeah but, I don't want you to use that technique. I want you to use my technique, but your technique goes against like the normal, you know, status quo of what everyone does in dentistry. It's like, but that's how we do it here. So I want you to do it that way. I mean, that's not mentorship. That's just, you know, more bordering <laughs> on, you know, dictatorship or bullying or something like that. So I think the mentorship kind of needs to be one, what you want it to be. So if you want to sit down with your mentor on a weekly, bi-weekly, daily basis, be upfront about it. Because some owners will say, I will do mentoring, but then won't do anything ever. Some people want their hand to be held. Can you, because when I first started doing some bigger cases, I went to Duff and I said, look, are you happy to come in maybe on your day off if I book this like implant because of one of my first implants um and then you know just poke your head in and just sort of see how i'm going and um you know just be there in case something goes wrong and he's like more than happy to come in on my day off just you know let me know what you need that's good mentoring that's what i wanted i didn't want him in there holding my hand and you know doing that maybe i needed that a few years ago but you know in these last few years i i didn't need that but you know i I sit down with with him. I we go through a lot of cases. Um, these days, it tends to be each one of us um, in the practice because there's there's six of us. We'll we'll go to each other's rooms and be like, check out this case that I got. Yeah, look at this. But you can't wait to see what I'm doing with this one. And they're like, uh, let's see what you're doing there. But we all are doing it to to each other. So um, it's it's more of a, a friendship um, based mentoring thing that we. We kind of have and we 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 meet bi-monthly and we go through some more complex cases or there, there are there are cases that i'm i'm stuck on and i'll just bring them to you know my colleagues at work and i'll be like here are all the photos 
because they have different experiences. They all have different mini specializations that they do. I'm like, what can you see that I can't see because I'm stuck? And then they'll say something and I'm like, aha, I didn't think of that. And then we sort of, you know, go from there. So sometimes the mentoring is just, I'm stuck on this problem because I'm only looking at it from this angle. I just get you to give me some feedback from this other angle. And I think we all need that at, at all times in, in our life. You can't just think, you know, I'm 10 years out, I'm 20 years out and I don't need to run my cases by anyone or I don't need any mentorship or I don't need to share this with anyone. We all need to approach dentistry as, as being a beginner and having that small amount of not self-doubt, but just curiosity as to like, am I missing something? Maybe there's another way of doing this. Maybe I should do a little bit more research or ask someone if they are thinking the same way as, as me, or does everyone kind of agree that this is a good way to, to go, th- to go down? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's interesting. Cause I, I can imagine a lot of associates sometimes are stuck in a situation where they might be the only clinician there. Um, even though it might be, you know, multiple dentists at the practice per se, like they've got many associates, but they're on, on different days and you're the only one there. You don't have that ability to talk um, to other people and, you know, see those kind of cases and how they kind of tackle things. Um, and then, like you just said, sometimes it's about having that open communication with them um, and seeing if that matches you. Because I find that a lot of um, younger ones are very shy to kind of um, ask and then the type of mentoring and then they get in this situation where it's like that's not what i envisioned um and it's not what it ends up being yeah so i'm gonna gonna talk you know talking about um difficulties have there been any struggles in your cp or dental journey so far that some of our viewers might not have known about um well we know about the business side of things that's that that's out in the open now although it wasn't a very closely guarded secret um, let me think. Uh, I mean, there's always, you know, I've got cases that, that didn't go well and patients that, you know, didn't like me. And, you know, there was one patient that um, got a, had a few death threats from patients for, for various different uh, things. They were all, the patient was a little bit, um, their communication skills were not as good as they should have been. And they, yeah, they decided to voice their opinion with uh, with death threats rather than like a sensible human being. And, you know, I, I get those just like, you know, anyone else would get. So you get your difficult patients, your difficult cases and things like that. Uh, I think one thing that a lot of people might not know is, so I was, I was fired from a practice for a couple of years um, after I graduated. Um, mainly it wasn't really I was fired for any particular reason I, I feel looking back that I was I was more I was moved on because the the owner had a different vision for the practice that didn't involve me anymore and they needed a way for me to leave uh, really quickly they started doing a few you know the, you know when uh, you, you you know someone's moving you on because you start getting um, disciplinary meetings for very bizarre things. Like you were one minute late today. Why were you one minute late? It's like um, I was out, out. I just walked in the door. Like it's still fine. I'm here, and they're like, no, no, no. That's that's your first warning. I'm like, um, okay. Like your patient, uh, patient got some sensitivity after their filling. I'm like, yeah, but I sorted it out, and they're all fine. I was like, yeah, yeah, but they have sensitivity. That's warning too. And you're like, I can sense a pattern here. I think I'm not welcome here anymore. And then, you know, things lead to that. And then, yeah, you get, uh, you get fired. So, but that led to a period, I think it was like three or four months where I was, I didn't have a job. Um, I did some locum work for the practice I used to work at um, because she wouldn't, um, didn't do any exos. Um, and she hadn't done any exos since I left. So I was like, hey, do you, are you okay if I come back and do some exos? So she would line up her exos on a Monday and then I would just rock up on a Monday and then just sit there and just take out teeth and then 
go home and that would, you know, make enough to cover like food and stuff for, you know, the next week and go from there. So I did that for, for three months and then shadowed some, some specialists and just kept applying for jobs because when I lost my job, I was also the same time that everyone, I think it was in January. So everyone was also graduating. It was over Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So all the jobs were taken by the recent grads. So I was kind of like lower down, well, not lower down in the pecking order, but um, all the jobs were already taken. So I had to wait for the wave of recent grads to, to get cleared before I, you know, found the job that I could apply to and stuff. And yeah, I, I found uh, this one that I'm at now. So that's how I got there. Well, then, I mean, at the end of it, I guess you could kind of say it kind of was a blessing in disguise, right? It was a blessing in disguise. Um, I mean, it worked out well because I think it was a couple of months earlier. I went to the, it was the first Seric Christmas party in, um, in New South Wales. Looking back, back to when we could travel. That was a, that was a great time. Um, and I met you know, lots and lots of dentists um, that I'm really close to and really good friends with that um, Christmas party. And one of them was, you know, Dustin. I ended up having like a slice of pizza with him at the casino at like three o'clock in the morning. And then we're just talking about just like random stuff. And then like three, four months later, I'm sitting in his office and he's, we're having an interview and it didn't even feel like an interview. It just felt like we're just catching up and just like talking. And at the end of it, he's like, cool, you can, you know, come and observe me on Monday. And I was like, awesome. And, you know, I got the job. So I just walked in and we just started talking like we were old friends because we were old friends. We'd had pizza together a few months ago. So it was it was bizarre, but it was 3 a.m. in the morning. I mean, I've had pizza with like a lot of dentists at 3 a.m. in the morning. I remember I sat on the beach with Jeff Coe and we had like pizza. It was like 3 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of pizza with uh, with dentists at three o'clock in the morning. So, wow, must be a thing that I do. I mean, is this the like little secret that is to how to get a job? <laughs> how to get no a job? Pizza, yeah, pizza, always pizza. Life is always about pizza. Um, so if you don't mind, I want to kind of come back to this little thing that you mentioned a little bit earlier. You talked about the 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 situation where um, you had all these death threats um, kind of coming at you. Um, if you don't mind me asking when you haven't faced anything like that before and you're you know an ethical um, dentist you're trying to do all the right things you know and you're being out for you know a few years or maybe even you know if we've had you know guests as well where they've been out only for a year or two and they kind of end up in this situation where it's like how do I like what is going on like can you talk to me about the, how you kind of get through that like how did you kind of cope how did you you know, manage. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's a great point. Um, and the only way I think I, I managed was, I mean, it, it would, there were never actual physical death threats because the, the person on the other end of the phone. Um, so what it was, uh, it was a, the, a government voucher patient. Um, there's a limit to how much treatment you're allowed to do on them, basically on based on money. I did all the treatment um, and one of the teeth that was left because it was asymptomatic um, happened to be the tooth that she really, really wanted to get fixed. But a lot of other teeth were giving her pain. So those were the priority, not the one that was asymptomatic and only aesthetic. Um, and at the end of the treatment, she just goes back to the government clinic and then they finish everything off. It's not like she's you know without treatment, but for whatever reason, she decided that that was enough for her to go off at me because I didn't do the treatment that she wanted on the tooth that she wanted because that was against the rules of the, you know, the government scheme kind of thing. So uh, it was, it was more of a, he said, she said kind of situation. And then when you try to explain that to the phone, then they hand it to their partner and then their partner gives you, it was never a threat, but it was more like if I happened to be at the same place at the same time as you, it would be very interesting if something happened to you, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, so I, I did get the, the police involved and uh, they they weren't able to do anything because there wasn't any direct sort of threat, but they were very happy that you know I did speak to them. So the first thing I'd say is if you are having actual threats against you, 
your person, your friend, your family, your workplace, do let the police know. Even if they won't do anything about it, it does add a flag onto that person's file. That may be the tipping point that the police need to do something or to investigate something else, or they might also go and do it to someone else because these uh, people like this don't tend to just do it just to you. They'll do it to a lot of other people as well. Um, and if they have multiple things on their file, then it adds up a lot quicker than if no one ever says anything. It's the same thing with um, if you suspect that your, uh, your you know, child patient is you know, being abused or if an elderly patient is being neglected, um, your, your voice can be the thing that makes a big difference. Even if you don't think it will, um, it can make a big difference. And then I spoke to, I was, you know, would speak to my wife, uh, she was my fiance at that point, but I'll speak to my fiance. Uh, I spoke to the practice manager, to the, you know, the practice owner, to various different people and just sort of, uh, you know, get my story um, out there. And then they would be like, yeah, well, you know, you did the right thing. It's not you, it's them. And basically, like you said, because I, you know, I, I try to be a, an ethical dentist doing the right thing. When someone attacks that, you start to have some self-doubt as maybe they are right. Maybe I didn't do the right thing. And you start looking back and, you know, you go through your notes and you're like, did I do the right thing? Did I say this? Did I say that? But then you speak to these other people who, you know, they know you and then they can sort of bring you back to that sort of place of calm and then go, you know what, I might have been listening a little bit too much into this other person who, who doesn't know me. They, they've known me for such a short amount of time. Their opinion of me doesn't reflect who I actually am because they've known me for, you know, a microsecond of time in my entire lifetime. Whereas, you know, your friends, your family, your parents, your colleagues, they know you for so much more and they can get a better gauge of who you are. So if, if you're, you know, if your partner your mum, if your boss is saying, I have no problems with you, you are perfectly capable and fine, then maybe they're right and not this random person who's just coming off the street and just sort of yelling um, abuses, you know, you. that's more a reflection on them and their life than it is on you and, and your life. So um, I find talking and obviously if you don't have people around you to talk to or if you struggle to talk to those people, then having a professional person to talk to as well um, can help. I, I didn't get to that point, but um, there are other points in my life where that might have been, you know, beneficial, you know, partners breaking up or, you know, family members passing away where talking to a specialist might, might help out. So a psychiatrist, a psychologist or whatever you sort of need, or even your GP to say, look, I'm struggling a little bit with, with something. Um, do you think you can just sort of listen to me and, some people just, you know, need someone to, to hear what they have to say. Mm, yeah, because like, you know, if you haven't experienced anything like that, you're bound to come across it at some point, you know, when a patient is, when they're just not happy um, and they're just calling you a shit dentist and you know, um, it, but you, you know, in that moment, it's kind of confronting when you're faced with it for the first time. So just to kind of wrap all things up, you know, what I mean, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self um, if you could? I was actually thinking about this the other day. Because, um, I mean, like I'm only, how old am I? I'm 31. So I am by no means old. So a lot of older dentists would be like, he's just a baby. And a lot of younger dentists would be like, he's old. He's like, 31 is like super old, especially if you've recently graduated. Um, but, Looking back on everything that I've that I've done, everything that I've achieved, everything that I'm doing, it, it's really hard to look back and you know put myself in the shoes where I was back then and see where all the pieces would end up falling into place and you know create the person that I am today. So the advice would be like it, it's a journey and you just have to just keep going at it. Like every little bit and piece will fit into a you know, a bigger jigsaw puzzle in the end. Um, you might not know what that bigger jigsaw puzzle is an image of, uh, but it, it, will, it will get there. You'll get there in the end and you just got to, you know, do it piece by piece, slowly just do the little building blocks and have that image in your head of what you want the end to look like 
and then just keep putting the little blocks in place. And in the end, if you keep doing that, you have the finished you know, picture in a few years time, like the time will pass. So you might as well, you know, do something with it and enjoy the ride as you're going along. Fair enough. That's some wise words from the top 10 dentists in South Australia in 2020, hey? Yeah, number seven, <laughs> number seven. <laughs> Dr. Michael Francis, thank you for coming on the show. There's so many more questions I wanted to ask you. Can you let the people know how they can find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. If you just search Dr. Michael Francis, um, you will find me there. Um, I've got web page and all that linked on my um, Instagram and uh, all my stuff is on Right Global as well. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends. And we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.